You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Um, Deuteronomy 26 is where we're going to be tonight. Deuteronomy 26. And once you find it, uh, go ahead and stand and we'll read this the uh, first few verses, first 11 verses of this chapter. Deuteronomy 26 is where we're going to be. We've been in a series on worship and uh, on Wednesday nights. And so far, we've essentially, the way that we've approached it, the way that I've approached it is to kind of ask and answer some questions about worship. Uh, where's the worship? Where are you going to find worship in our culture? Uh, what is worship? How to biblically define worship? What makes worship unique? Um, who is the object of our worship? Uh, where are the worshiping witnesses? Your, your worship makes a difference to those around you in a service. They're watching, and your worship, uh, if it's genuine, will make a difference in convincing others um, that you worship the one true God. And then uh, what's the conflict between culture and worship? Those have been the subjects that we've, we've looked at, the questions that we've tried to answer. And tonight, we're going to be trying to answer another one. Um, and this one is, what makes a worshiper? What makes a worshiper? And I'd like to look at Deuteronomy, the first 11 uh, verses of 26, chapter 26 here, and uh, read this tonight, and then just walk through this as a way to see what makes a genuine worshiper. And I think it could really be a help to us. I'm excited uh, about using this text to do this tonight. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1 says... And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possessest it and dwellest therein that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of, the, of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt put it in a basket and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand, and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. He's talking about Jacob here. And he, was, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression, and the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness, and with signs, and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. There's the word worship before the Lord thy God. 
And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thy house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. What makes a worshiper? Well, tonight I want to look at some characteristics of a worshiper because worship has a definition. There are, there are points about worship that we must learn, look to the Bible to find out, but it's not just the worship that has qualifications, it's also the worshiper. In other words, uh, you've got, there are some things that need to be true about you if you are going to genuinely Worship, And I think there's some good material found in this text that will be a help to us tonight. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the, the truth here. And, and I, I thank you for making, just making things clear uh, and helping us. Lord, I know that you'll help us tonight if we have an open heart. I pray that you would use this message to affect how passionately we come to worship you. That's my prayer tonight. I pray that you'd... Uh, bless the reading of your word and that you would use this message to help us. Lord, bless our guests here. We're so thankful for guests tonight. Pray that you'd bless them as well and help them to get a heart, an idea of the heart of Eastside Baptist Church this evening. Lord, we love you. Pray that you'd be honored with everything that takes place uh, in our service in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've covered quite a range of topics um, on worship, but tonight we are going to look at this question, what makes a worshiper? And in my study on worship, uh, a great help to me has been a book by uh, Brother Mark Huntington actually gave it to me. I was aware of it because Brother Hardy uses it in his book, Worship in the Ear of God, which is part of the reason I'm preaching this because Brother Dave Hardy wrote a book on worship and, and kind of inspired this series. But one of the books that he references is by a man named A.P. Gibbs, and, and the, the, the title is uh, Worship the Christian's Highest Occupation. And I, I love that, that idea that it's our highest occupation to worship. In that book, um, A.P. Gibbs uses Deuteronomy 26 um, in, in, in a, a, one of the chapters, and I, it was just too good uh, as he went through some of these things. It's, I'm not preaching exactly what he did um, or what he wrote, but I'm using part of it. It kind of prompted my thinking about this message tonight, and so I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, Deuteronomy 26 is written to Israel as they prepared to enter into the promised land. If you think about the order, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what's the next, ver next Bible uh, book? Joshua. Now, what happens in the book of Joshua? They take the promised land, okay? It's okay to be, um, uh, to be responsive tonight. Um, uh, what's one major battle in the book of Joshua that took place? Jericho. Okay, if you want to sing this song, we can, if it'll wake you up. Ready, Joshua? Fit no, just kidding, let's not do that. Um, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Uh, we know that the book of Joshua is about them taking the land. This is toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. This is before they're taking the land. They're preparing to go into the promised land. And of all the instructions that Moses gives them, because we know that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he's giving them instructions about many things. And one of the things he gives them instruction regarding is worship. It's, it's supposed to be a big part of their life, lives as God's people. And we even read in verse 10, at the end of verse 10 of our text, and worship before the Lord thy God. So this text is about worship. 
And he's saying once you enter into the promised land and once you get settled, don't forget worship. Make sure that you are worshiping. And I want to walk through this text and very simply tonight point out some significant marks of a worshiper. And, and it really begins, the primary biggest thought begins in verse 5. So we won't take it chronologically, but I kind of want to start with what I believe or perceive is the biggest mark of a worshiper. And that begins in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. Now you say, uh, Jacob... Um, is obviously who's referencing, or Israel is the other name for Jacob, and, and he is referring to Jacob when he calls him a Syrian. And you say, but Jacob was born in Canaan, uh, right? But his mother was a Syrian. His grandfather Abraham was from Chaldea, which is part of Assyria. Um, he married an Assyrian. His wives were Assyrian. All of his sons technically were born in Syria except for Benjamin. So when they refer to Jacob, it's not anything strange for them to refer to him as a Syrian. That's just a side note. Either way, though, notice how Moses instructed the worshiper. When you go to worship, he instructed him to recall his history. Again, look at verse 5. Thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father Israel, or Jacob, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. Does this ring any bells for those of us that have been enduring the Genesis series for the last 18 years, it seems like? You know, God had taken Jacob from Canaan into Egypt and we know that they had about 70 people in the family at that time. And yet over the course of a couple of hundred years, by the time they left Egypt, they numbered in the millions. So Jacob took his family to Egypt. God blessed and prospered them. That's in verse 6. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. But he just got done talking about how when we came out, we were a great mighty nation. We were populous. Even with the terrible treatment even though they were slaves, even though they were in bondage in Egypt, God prospered and grew the, the nation of Israel. Verse 7, he says, And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression, and the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. I love that description of how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. But I want you to notice, if you're going to be a worshiper, you need to remember your history. That's what he's saying. And, and I'll, I'll say it a different way as the first point. But what the worshiper was to say is we were slaves in Egypt. We suffered bitter bondage. We had no hope in sight. But when we cried to the Lord in our great affliction, he heard us and with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand and with great terribleness, he worked signs and wonders and he brought us out of bondage into this land that we're going into. And now notice the language of the worshiper. He says, when you go and you take your offering to the Lord, uh, he says, we were slaves. It was us that God brought out. And if you read verses 5 through 8, essentially you see us 
It was us, it was us, it was we, it was our, it was our, it was our, it was our, it was us. Those are the words. He went through this. The worshiper went through this. The worshiper um, was speaking by experience. He was aligning himself with the children of Israel and very possibly he remembers going through these things. And here we see the first mark of a worshiper, okay? And if you want to write these down, I think I don't always preach in a way that's easy to write things down, um, but I, I will say tonight would be a good, a good outline to write down. Here are the marks of a worshiper. A worshiper has been redeemed. See, like the children of Israel brought out of Egypt, God has brought us believers out of bondage of sin. And listen, we were hopeless we were miserable. We were like the children of Israel in Egypt. We were slaves to sin. And just like Israel, we cried out to the Lord. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we have just as much to be thankful for as Israel after the Exodus. We could read verse 8 like this. The Lord brought me out of sin. The Lord reached down with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, into the, and he brought me from there into the glorious freedom of Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed like the worshiper. This person that's going to come and worship uh, had been inside a home. Very likely the person that came and brought this offering to the priest and to the altar of the Lord had likely, maybe even as a child, been inside a home where the blood of a, of a lamb was painted around the door jam of his own home. This person bringing this offering may have been a six or seven year old kid wondering why is my dad taking that branch, that, 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 uh, taking that blood of that lamb and putting it on the doorposts of our house and why am I hearing all the cries of those around me this night as a six or seven year old kid where here he is about 40 years later and God's giving him instructions to go worship and what he's saying is it was you that have been redeemed it was you that the blood of the lamb has changed it was you that have benefited from God showing mercy on that night, he brought you out. He heard your cry. And listen, we have been redeemed like the worshiper. This person uh, knew what it was like to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And so do you if you're a child of God. You know what it's like to have been in bondage. You know what it's like. And some of you, you were in bondage not long ago. And God has brought you from darkness into light through the blood of the lamb. And you very clearly, I mean, especially if you were saved as an adult or older or later in life, you remember what it's like to be in bondage. You remember what it's like to be in sin. You remember what it was like the day that you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Listen, here's the first mark, is worship can only be genuine in the life of someone who has truly been redeemed. Redemption stirs in us the desire to worship our Father. And there are two things about this. Number one, no one should want to worship as passionately as those of us who've been redeemed. You, you, there should be nobody in life that is as passionate about worshiping God as somebody who's experienced salvation by the blood of the Lamb. We know what we were. We know what we are now. And if there had been no other reason, that's enough to worship. 
You say, well, I'm just not really feeling worship. I'm not really sure why I need to worship. Um, if you've been redeemed, you have a reason to worship. If you have no desire to worship, have you been redeemed? Listen, it's a natural response to seek the face of the one to whom you owe everything. And if that's not present, do some soul searching. Maybe you'd worship more if you spent more time giving thanks to God for your salvation. Every day, I think that every believer ought to stop and say, Lord, you saved me. I didn't deserve it. You did everything. The blood of your son has washed away my sins. And I just want to today to say thank you, Lord, for that. First Peter says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received uh, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he says a few verses later in chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, 5, ye offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You know what Peter is saying? If you've truly been redeemed by the precious, spotless blood of the Lamb, the only natural response is that you want to offer up sacrifices to the one that's redeemed you. If you've truly experienced salvation, you should desire worship. And as we've already mentioned in this series, a big part of worship is humility. And when you've been redeemed, listen, when you've truly been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know it had nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. I could never work my way. I could never earn my way. All the work was done on the cross. Um, uh, As we saw the other day, Telestai... To tell this die, I can't say it. It is finished. Paid in full. It's over. The work has been done. I heard a story about a preacher that went to a young man, or a young man came to the preacher and said, What can I do to be saved? And the preacher said, It's too late. And the young man said, What do you mean, too late for me to get saved? No, he said, No, it's too late for you to do anything about it. The work has already been done. To tell us die. Paid in full, it is finished. And listen, it's been paid in full. And when you realize you had nothing to do, you couldn't earn it, you couldn't work for it, Jesus did all the work on the cross, the only natural response to that is, God, in humility, I must worship you because I owe you everything. Listen, this should conjure a response in us tonight. I mean, shame on us if a preacher can stand up here and say, God did everything, I did nothing, and you're still thinking about the game, thinking about work. Listen, you, we, we owe everything to him. The only natural response is humble worship. And as we take steps of humility, James 4, 8, God takes steps of proximity. We draw nigh to God in humility. He draws nigh to us in proximity. And people that know the depth of their sin are more likely to recognize the miracle of redemption and are therefore most likely to be humble worshipers. The only right response to redemption is humble worship. The mark of a worshiper is that they've been redeemed. Have you been redeemed? And if you have, how passionate are you about worship? Because without God intervening in your life, you'd have, we'd have no hope. Here's another mark of a genuine worshiper. A worshiper has been blessed by God. Listen, I, I hope this resonates. It did with me tonight. Maybe I came too excited about it. Listen, I can't even explain to you the blessings I have. Because I know the Lord. He says in verse 1, 
And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possessest it and dwellest therein that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt put it in a basket and shalt, it shall, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And here we have this example, this Israelite has obviously been guided by God to this specific place. Moses says, when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I mean, think about it. This person has clearly been guided by God to this place. Uh, this person literally followed the cloud by day and the pillar by night in, uh, to come into the promised land. And God had made sure he had enough manna to eat. Uh, that his clothes and his shoes wouldn't wear out. That there'd be enough water to drink. And even when it was coming out of a rock... God took care of every one of their needs. And the worshiper had crossed Jordan. I mean, he had maybe watched the Red Sea get parted as a child. And then he watched the River Jordan get parted as an adult. And it should remind him that God, the whole way God was with him. God guided him with every step. And God took them hundreds of miles and many years to a place that hundreds of years before God had promised he would bring them. And the worshiper, when he gets to the place that God has guided him, would have fruit as evidence of God's work in his life, God's blessings. And not only would God bring them to the place of inheritance and let them possess a land, he would make it fruitful. So the people then were to take, and, and they were, it was a, play, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a fruitful place. It was one of those places that you didn't have to um, have a real good green thumb probably to grow anything. Uh, you know, we, we try to grow gardens, but we're good at killing stuff. That's what we do. Plants don't survive. You know, that's just what we do. Well, Canaan would have been the kind of place that you could grow things and it would be fruitful. And, and what, the, what the worshiper was supposed to do is he was supposed to remember how God had guided him and blessed him. And now he's in a place and he's got his own plot of land and he's growing his own crops. And he would take the fruit once they grow, he'd take the grain and, and, and the vegetables, he'd take that basket and he would put stuff into that basket and then go to the priest to go to the tabernacle, later the temple, and give it back to God. And I hope that you see the parallel. This is the, one, the point I was getting really excited about in my office. As a child of God, you've been blessed. Okay, we'll try that again. You've got to wake up tonight. I came real excited, and I feel like nobody else is. As a child of God, you've been blessed. I mean, that should be the response. I'm not begging for it, but sometimes, man, I, want, I just want it because it, I, I wonder if you're getting it. You've been blessed. We've all been blessed. You have an inheritance in heaven. You've got a place to dwell for eternity. And God has guided you with his own care. And he's walked with you every step of the way. He's provided for you at every turn. Even when you were in the wilderness and it was long and it was hot and it was difficult, you didn't know how God was going to take care of you. God has sustained you, has he not? And when God blesses you, the only right response is to turn around and bring an offering of thanks. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be, is, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then Paul goes on to list all of these incredible things that come because you know the Lord. 
He chose us. He enables us. He loves us. We've been adopted. He shows us grace. We're accepted in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood. These are all in Ephesians 1. We are forgiven. He, he gives us wisdom that abounds. And one day we'll be gathered with him in heaven. Those are pretty good lists of blessings, aren't they? You know what? Listen, here's the point I really want you to get tonight. We don't come to worship in order to be blessed. We come to worship because we've been blessed. We don't come to worship in order to be blessed. We come to worship because we've been blessed. That's what this worshiper was supposed to come as. He was supposed to come as somebody who's already had the fruit and the tangible evidence that God has blessed him every step of the way. God provided for him. God has given fruit. God has blessed his land and blessed his work. And he's not coming to get something. He's coming to give because God has blessed him. That is our motive for worship. It's not that we come and we beg God to give us something. No, we come because God has already blessed us in immense ways. It's the wrong mentality, folks, to come to church and say, bless me. Let's see what you got, preacher. Let's see what you got, singers. Come in and say, I, I'm not feeling it today. Somebody, you, you got your work cut out for you, buddy. No, if you're truly redeemed and blessed and guided by the God of heaven who has taken you through every step of the way, you should come because you've been blessed. View church as an opportunity to make his blessings known in your life. You've been redeemed. That's the mark of a worshiper. You've been blessed. That's the mark of a worshiper. Third, a worshiper is a thankful person. It's the thankful person. Thou shalt go unto the, the priest that shall be in those days and say to him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And here's a basket of fruit because I know it's all about God. I know I have only him to thank. I know that this is not about me. Listen, this Israelite is to take his offering and go to the priest and give credit where credit is due. He doesn't say, I'm a good farmer, look at my crop. No, he comes saying, I wouldn't have any of this if it weren't for God. I wouldn't have anything good if it weren't for my Redeemer. It's about the Lord. He brought me here. I profess him. He brought us here. By his grace, I have this fruit. It's all about him. And when he says in verse 2, um, to put it in a basket, it doesn't just mean, hey, yeah, you know, pick some fruit off the ground, throw it in a basket. No, the idea is that there will be, it'll be arranged in such a way that it's deliberate and ordered. It kind of reminds me of ladies' meetings sometimes. Like last night, if, when guys have a prayer meeting um, and we have breakfast afterwards, we don't even want tablecloths. We don't want anything that will interfere with our eating abilities. <laughs> last night, I walked into the ladies' meeting and there were all these pretty dainty tablecloths with these little centerpieces that I think Lizette just threw together. I'm like, how do you just throw that together? You know, uh, the re and so what happened last night, yesterday, Lizette didn't come in and be like, okay, you know, here's some decorations and just be like, Whew. if it lands on a table, it's good enough for me. So that's how guys do it. Okay, and Sherilyn's like, that would be me, okay? No, well, no, it's arranged. That's the idea of put it in a basket is that you're not going to just take the worst of the fruit. You're not going to take the leftovers. No, it's the first fruit, which you know what that means? It's the best fruit you've got. 
And you put it in a basket in such a way that God looks at it and, he, and he's pleased with it because you deliberately brought the very best that you have. And listen, this is a mark of thankfulness that when you come to the Lord and you come to bring him an offering of praise or you come to bring a sacrifice of praise or you serve him in some way that you're not just throwing it together. No, you're thankful for what God has done for you and you come saying, Lord, this is the best I have and I want to give it to you. We live in such an entitled culture, don't we? It's like, gimme, gimme, gimme. What can I get? What can you do for me? Reparations. I mean, all of these things and, and all of these things that people feel like they're owed and it spills over, I think, sometimes into our churches. And, I, you know, rather than coming to show gratitude for the, to the Lord for the many blessings and gifts and doing our best for him, there's a spirit that says, what's in this for me? What, are, what programs do you have that could help me? What activities are there for our kids? And, and what Bible study options do I have? Listen, I'm all for adding programs, but it seems counterproductive to me to add things to people that don't have a heart to just say, thank you for what we do have. Listen, and if you come to every service and you come to every Sunday school class, you've got enough to grow on. Don't think that, that, well, the church isn't providing enough for me and that's why I'm not growing. No, there is enough going on that there's growth potential available for you if you'll take it. And it's kind of hard to justify adding more and more things for people if you're not faithful to services. Come to services and see what God might do if you're just faithful to the things that you know you're already supposed to be at. Listen, in my thinking, why add something? Um, you know, if we're just already an unthankful people, it won't make us more thankful. It might make us more entitled. No, we should have a heart change. Let's have a change of heart and be truly, honestly thankful and come because of what God has done for us. The culture has enough entitlement. True worshipers come and bring their first fruits, the very best they have. And they're willing to do it on God's terms, even if it means putting in great effort to get there. Because you notice what he said is when you put that basket together, you're going to go to the place the Lord chooses. Meaning even if you live 30 miles away and you can't do anything but walk there, that means you take that basket of arranged fruit and you walk all the way to the place where God has said to go. And by the time it all ended up in Jerusalem, you're walking up a hill, up a mountain to get to Jerusalem. And you know what? God didn't say, let's make it more convenient for you and we can you can just bring it to a local priest. No, he says, come to the place where the Lord chooses. Meaning, here's the thing, that we don't worship God on our terms. If it takes and requires effort to bring your very best to God, well, that's what it takes. He deserves it. You know, there's a story about a little girl and she brought her mom a lot of joy. And, you know, I just love a certain age. We were at the, at the river this morning, went and tried to run. I don't know if you call it running. Um, jogging, surviving, barely. And after a long, hard winter... And there's this little girl on a bike with training wheels and, you know, the big, what do they call them coming out the end of the handlebars? Tassels. And, yeah, it's all the T words tonight, Jacob, I'm having trouble with. To tell us tassels. So she, she got out, got on her bike, and she got her little pink helmet on. And she had these heart sunglasses, pink heart sunglasses. And she was sitting on her bike like, I am the coolest thing at the river right now. And I was like, yes, you are, girl. 
you, I mean, it just reminded me of that age when the, I mean, our girls were that age and I mean, everything they did was just cute and they just, they thought they were so grown up and I just loved the age. This little girl, she just brought her mom joy. She was at that age. She comes in one day and her mom's doing some ironing in the house and, her, and she sits down in a chair and just watches her mom. And her mom asks, what can I get for you, sweetie? And she says, nothing. I just want to sit here and watch you and love you. It's like, and I was crying in my office when I read it. No. no I mean, I know that's silly. It's sweet. But I also think it's a pretty good way to approach the Lord in worship. Meaning, instead of coming to get something from him every time, and boy, I came in in a bad mood, and somebody better do something because I need a blessing today. No, sometimes we just need to come and be reminded of what he's done for us, how he's blessed us, and to bring our best for him because we ought to be thankful for what we have, not just coming in looking for something of what we can get, just to watch him and love him. And you might find when you do that, you get more out of it that way than if you were looking to get something that you wanted. And I found that when people simply obey, God gives, and when I simply obey, God just gives me what I need. And instead of thinking that I need to add something new or I need a blessing today, no, if I just, if I just get down to the place where I'm just adoring the Lord and I'm just spending time and seeking his face, he gives me everything I need. A worshiper is redeemed, a worshiper is blessed, a worshiper is a thankful person, and fourth, a worshiper is a giving person. You want to worship in a real tangible way, be a giver. Verse 10 says, And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thy house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. See, I want you to notice what is missing in this exchange. You say, how do we notice what's missing? Okay, it's a kind of a trick question. No, not once in this entire passage does the worshiper ask for anything. A.P. Gibbs says, he does not come with a petition on his lips, but with a present in his hand. And you might say, I'm just not really getting a lot out of worship. Well, it could be that when you come, it's because you're coming to get something, rather than just simply bring a heart of, of gratitude for all the blessings that God has given you, and to bring your very best to him. You might say, well, yeah, but he, I would just be bringing what God has already given me. Well, that's true, but isn't that true of everybody? We would have nothing if God had given us nothing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And you say, why would I give, you know, it's kind of like trying to buy a gift for somebody who has everything and they just buy it if they need it. You know, you say, well, I don't want to get him anything because he has everything he needs. No, it's not, it, that's not the point. The point is that you, that you want him to know how much you love him or you appreciate him and he may even have 10 of what you bring him, but it's the thought that counts. And with the Lord, that's the way he wants it from us as well, is you may not have much to bring him, but what you can bring, if you'll bring your very best, he'll be pleased with it. He's looking for people that are givers, that simply come and say, God, this is the best I have. I don't have much more, but will you take it? Remember, there are plenty of times when my kids were little, they'd bring me a present on my birthday or at Christmas, and, and they'd be just giddy as I'm opening it. I already know what it is, you know, probably, but, but I act real surprised. And Sorry, I didn't mean to break the news to the kids in here. 
You know what's funny? If I was to stop and really consider it, I'd be like, you know what? My money brought, bought this. So, I mean, what's the big deal? No, it is a big deal because everything my kids have, I gave to them. But when they give back to me, it does something for me as a father that nothing else can do because I know that my kids are not just in it for what they can get out of me anymore. They're in it because they love me. And that's what God deserves from us. That's what our good father who gives us so much, he deserves that from you and I. And, and, and also, by the way, you may not have much to give, but if you just give your best, that's all God cares about. God freely and without hesitation gives an, an abundance to his children. And maybe materially sometimes, but definitely spiritually. Does he not deserve worship without requests? Does he ask too much for us to simply come and watch and love him? Is that too much for him to ask? To say, don't come in looking for what you can get. Just come and worship. Watch and love him. And we would have nothing without him. It's not unreasonable for us to simply say, I just want to come and give my best to the Lord on Sunday. Is it unreasonable for us to ask for him to ask for our first fruits, for our very best, for us to put in some effort to worship? No. He deserves it all. And I'll say it this way. You don't have to worship. You don't have to. If you've never been redeemed, you don't have to worship. And if you've never been blessed by God, it's okay. You don't have to worship. And if you have nothing to be thankful for, don't worry about it. And if you have nothing to give, no problem. Don't worship. But I hope you sense the irony. <laughs> See, what makes a worshiper? No, if you've been redeemed, and most of us in this room have been, you should be a worshiper. If you've been blessed on, in any way, and every per person in this room could say, I've been blessed in some way or another, you should be a worshiper. And if you've, uh, if you've got anything to be thankful for at all, you should be a worshiper. And if you have anything to give, even if it's not much, if you can give your best, you should be a worshiper. It shouldn't take a twisting of our arms to get us to passionately worship the Lord. It shouldn't take much convincing to be willing to submit to the biblical definition of worship by bowing. It shouldn't be uh, in our minds too much effort. Honestly, if God asked us to do something terrible and awful and hard and difficult, the fact that he's redeemed us and blessed us and given to us everything we could ever need... We should go to whatever links he asks of us. But he doesn't ask anything hard. He simply asks for us to come and be thankful and to give him our best and to simply worship and adore him. I mean, there are other religions where they believe their God asks a lot of them. To the point of serious physical humiliation and trials and difficulty. And sometimes even to the sacrificing of their own lives for the God they're trying to please. Our God doesn't ask any of that. All he asks is for us to humbly come and say thank you and adore him. That's it. Listen, and for a God that's given us everything, go read Ephesians 1. If you wonder again how many blessings we have, there's nothing too great for him to ask of people that have been redeemed. So are you a worshiper? Is it real for you or when you show up, is it about what you can get? No, let's change our mentality and say, I didn't come here today to get blessed. I came here today because I've been blessed. And that's all the reason I need to worship 
my God. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a, a time of invitation. And I hope you be willing to respond. Have you, has church to you become something where you're simply coming to get what you can get? Or are you coming because you, you've, you've got so many blessings and God has been so good to you that you just need to come and let him know it? That should be our mentality. Teenagers, when you come, are you, look, are you coming for your friends? Or are you coming because God's been good to you? Young couples in here, are you coming because it's, you know, it's required you know, and we're, we're busy this week, but we'll make it work? Or are you coming because you've been redeemed? Some single person in this room, you say, well, you know, I, I'm not really content because of this or that. No, when you come, are you coming because it's just a requirement, your duty and obligation? Or are you coming because God has really blessed you and you need to let him know sometimes just how thankful you are for the blessings you have? And to the family that's struggling with something tonight, maybe you've come thinking, well, I just need something from church. Our family really needs something. Well, that's not the point of worship. The point of worship is to come and say, we don't have a lot good going on right now, but everything we have from God is good. And he's done enough for me that I should worship. Listen, how has your worship experience been? Has it been about you or has it been about the one who has blessed you? We shouldn't come just to get blessings. We should come because of how blessed we are. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.